Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Okay, so um, let me introduce myself. You may have seen a little bit of blurb in the programme, perhaps. My name is Andy Parnham, and I live in a place called London. It's a little village in the south. But I live in Lewisham, which is southeast London. So, um, do you know it? Okay, so a um, little bit about me. I trained once upon a time, several hundred years ago, as a doctor, worked as a doctor. Uh, in and around London, and then for many, many years worked in church work, leading churches uh, in a city London, abroad, back again. Um, got two girls. I'm now a grandfather. Little Jack is six months old. I can show you the videos afterwards. Um, and so my heart has always been for uh, mission, so I feel at home in a context like this. And um, over many years of leading churches, always wanting to engage uh, relevantly, effectively with local people. It's quite a phrase to scratch where people are itching, and it's not difficult to know where people are itching, really, is it? Kind of uh, mental health, relationships, parenting, uh, finances, uh, the whole thing about living in our society in our day and age. Question is, are we scratching? How, we, how are we doing with our scratching? And uh, that was really, for me, very formative to seek to engage with people in a way that brings wholeness and health and healing right across the uh, piece. And so the result of that was um, discovering the well-being research, something called positive psychology. That may or may not mean anything to people. But the people who are uncovering uh, by their research, those kind of things, these people, not necessarily people of faith, but uncovering by uh, empirical research the things that help people to flourish in life. And it turns out that things like relationships, forgiveness, um, taking notice of and engaging with the world as we find it, spirituality, faith. Uh, in fact, when I discovered it, I realised that actually it, the thing they were um, discovering about gratitude, forgiveness and so on, were awe. Um, humility ran like Galatians 6, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And they're all researching into these things, finding, surprise, surprise, that people who live lives of appreciation, gratitude, forgiveness, nurturing relationships, they flourished more than people who didn't. Oh, we could have told them that before. But what is, uh, I found so helpful was that here's a scientific basis for the very things that we, of course, have been seeking to live out for many years. And so that's why I developed something called the Happiness Course. We'll talk about that at the end. Um, and uh, seeking to scratch where people are itch. So, so lots more to say. My frustration is that in the five hours that they've given me to share with you this morning, um, there just isn't enough time to do it. So I'll give you a few uh, things at the end obviously an email address and so on. So I've got some materials here from Livability. Um, there's a book that I wrote last year. I've just got some copies of it there. So there's plenty of things to follow up on. What I think I want to do is just give a bit of a, a taster, really. But also to get us to reflect on where we're at personally, where we're at in our communities, the people we work with and live among, our church communities and the whole. Because mental health is an issue today. You know, not just 
peripheral, not just marginal? Well, we'll think about that as we go along. So let me just kick off with this. Um, how do you feel about life? Does it ever feel like that? We know that we started, we know it'll end, it's what happens in between that's the confusing thing. Um, mental health me. So here's some questions just to think about. Why not have a little think about this on your own and then just literally I'm going to give you one and three quarter minutes to share uh, as we kick off, just to get the juices flowing. When you hear the words mental health, what immediately comes to mind? Don't tell me yet, just have a think. Uh, we all have mental health. Do we have mental health? Yeah. Well, yes. Do we have physical health? I hope so. Do we have mental health? Well, of course we do. Uh, so why is it that when we talk about physical health, certain things come to mind. When we talk about mental health, maybe very different kind of thoughts and feelings come to mind. Have a little think about it. Two minutes just to chat, just to get to hear your, your own voice. Talking pairs. Um, I would love at this point just to open it up, but I suspect that we'd be here the rest of the morning. Uh, so kind of just whatever thoughts you've got, just peg them away, think them there, uh, you know, hold them there, and there may be a chance later. In any case, even if we don't get the chance to talk about it in the whole group, uh, scribble down some thoughts as you go, because you'll think, oh yeah, I've not thought of that. Or maybe that's what somebody said. So make a note, because then you can take it back um, and uh, develop it. So... Is mental health an issue today? Yes. yes. Should we be concerned about it? Yes. Good, we're on the same page then. Um, what about myths? Do you know any myths about mental health? Yeah. Say? Illness and nothing else? Right, exactly, exactly. Now, both those things crop up here. Here's one. Uh, again, for the sake of time, all these need unpacking, don't they? And I would love to do that. But here we go. Mental health, here's one. Mental health isn't really as important as physical health. When we have the NHS do health awareness things, what do they often focus on? Exercise. Exercise. Medication. Medication. Yeah, diet. <coughs> Yeah, stop drinking, stop eating, stop doing all the rest of it. What's that mostly? Is that kind of physical health and mental health? It's mostly physical, isn't it? There, there is stuff on mental health, but often uh, it's a bit of a poor relation. Things changing. Good mental Here's another one. Good, good mental health is all about feeling happy. So if I'm not happy, or what people expect us to be, what does that mean? I'm just going to rattle through these. Mental health self-care is only for people who already have a mental health problem. It'd be strange if we thought that about physical health. You know, the only need, people who need to think about sorting out their physical health is people who've already got some disease or other. Well, no. Number four, you can kiss goodbye to that brilliant career if you have a mental health condition. Well, actually, that isn't always a myth, is it? There's a lot of stigma about uh, these things. Um, the mentally ill are weak, lazy, attention-seeking, and usually violent. <laughs> well, that may, uh, that may be slightly overstating it, but, but often there's a kind of suspicion in the back of our minds. Wow, is this going to be okay? 
Once you've been given the label, you're stuck with it for life. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, again, sometimes that can act as a bit of truth to that, depending on people's response. But it doesn't have to be that way. Mentally ill are always, always spiritually weak and possessed by evil spirits. Well, we are body, soul, and spirit, and our spiritual state is bound to have an impact. But that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? On the other end of the spectrum, if mental illness is biological, we'll think a little bit about the medical model as we go, if essentially it's down to the altered chemicals in your brain, then actually what you need to do is alter the chemicals in your brain. They're called antidepressants, aren't they? And so um, this other stuff, this touchy-feely stuff, whether it's therapy or this other spiritual stuff called prayer, well, we don't go anywhere near that. That's uh, a fairly extreme position, but it's often some people's default. So is it an issue today? Well, let's have a few, you probably know some of these stats, at least as well as I do. Commonly quoted stat is that at any given point, one in, or any year, one in four of us will experience significant uh, mental health problems. Sometimes I think that's an understatement, uh, rather than over one. Um, so, uh, what's that? Two in three people say they've experienced mental health problems at some point. Here's one. By the age of 14, uh, one in four girls um, report significant symptoms of depression. That's actually quite a, in a sense, quite a scary one, isn't it? One in ten boys. Stress, the largest cause of sickness absence. And uh, illustrated, this was last year, one, one in three sick notes issued by uh, GPs is for mental health things. I suspect it might even be higher. We'll think some more about that before we're done. Depression, second most burdensome global, and so it's not just this country we're talking about. Um, the, the World Health Organization publishes a kind of Premier League of the top conditions that what they, 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 they put it this way, it causes burden in people's lives. So it might be physical, may not be physical. Um, and at the moment, the top of the league uh, is heart disease. Number two is uh, depression. Actually, in, in a few years' time, it's set to become number one. This is the world. So whatever we're talking about, it's something that affects not just people in Manchester or London or the UK, right across the globe. Over half teachers think of quitting the next couple of years. Any teachers here? <laughs> well, these are just some stats, really. Whichever way we look at it, something's going on, isn't it? There's something going on. Half of all mental health problems are already present by age. What do you reckon? Give a stat. Very young. Pretty young. Yeah, very young. By 14. That's huge, isn't it? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us lots of things, not least that actually, if we only think about adults and older teens, interventions and so on, then we're missing at least half the boat, aren't we? And obviously, our early experiences from birth onwards are profoundly important. So working with families, working with parents, working with children, working out there in the community is really, really crucial. I'd love to talk about attachment theory. It's at the basis of all relational health and so on. But maybe we can pick up on these things and on. So what's going on? You know, the health, uh, health professionals, they talk about, it's not just the Daily Mail, uh, but these professionals talk about epidemics of anxiety, of depression, of stress, of loneliness. We now have a minister in the government for 
loneliness, don't we? So that's got, you know, it's got to be saying something, isn't it? Um, well, here's just a few kind of headlines. Again, this is just to get us thinking as kind of um, each of these unpacks, needs to be unpacked. But I'll show a couple of uh, diagrams in a minute that maybe express this a bit more. But the way we, the top, what are the top five causes of premature death in this country? Top five, what would you say? Heart, Heart suicide for young people. Cancer. Pardon? Yeah, I mean, there's, if you go from the head downwards, strokes, heart disease, lung disease, liver disease, cancer. All those five have significant lifestyle dimensions. You see, a hundred and something years ago, if you were going to die prematurely, what would you die of in the 19th century? TB. TB, infectious disease, it could be cholera, it could be all these kind of things. And then through immunizations, through sanitation, through antibiotics, most of those were held in check, if not alleviated, uh, you know, got rid of smallpox and the rest of it, fantastic. But today, what will kill you prematurely is not some bug, virus or uh, bacterium. Actually, the cause is closer to home. It's, it's us. It's actually the way we live our lives, whether it's physically, relationally, personally. And so all those things, heart disease, uh, smoking, alcohol, but actually stress. And the rest of it, many cancers have a lifestyle dimension to them, don't they? And so actually, we have to look to other dimensions, not just the sheerly biological causes for it. There's other things going on. Actually, some things incredibly basic. But they're so basic, we seem to just over... Having uh, Sometimes um, medical professionals talk about exercise as the miracle cure. And so if you go, what they recommend, you know, five times a week, going and uh, doing at least half an hour, it's it's doable. And actually that can cut the blood sugar. You don't need to have statins, da, 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 all these kind of things. It's not, it doesn't uh, completely get rid of it, but it's a massive thing, getting enough sleep, eating the right things, (laughs) etc. Getting daylight, uh, are these doable? Of course they are. Do they cost loads of money? No, they don't. But it's actually the way we live the way we interact, the way we think, the way we um, uh, live and the rest of it. So, there's one thing, we cut corners. Um, and our culture, again, I'm just going to lob these out there. Uh, it's almost insulting to just throw this thing out there and not let you come back at me. But we may have a chance before we go for lunch, I don't know. But I, I just kind of uh, say these as headlines. I would suggest to you, my learned friends, that, um, that we live in a culture that picks up on what the Epicurean... Everyone knows about Epicureans, don't they? Yeah, no, they, were, they were ancient Greeks. It was approached to life uh, that basically said the most important thing is the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. That's two and a half thousand years old, and we live it out pretty well today, don't we? That our, our, our society, our culture, if you like, you could summarise it by that kind of little motto, pursuit of pleasure... Not that there's anything wrong with pleasure, and who wants to have pain anyway? But actually, uh, much of what we focus on is orientated in that. We'll we'll look at that in a second. 
Um, there's a man called Edward Hallowell. He's a, a psychiatrist, and he says this. There's two forces in human beings that you could summarize everything in these terms. One is we humans are geared to achieve things, not just academically, but in the whole of our lives. But we're also geared with the need to connect, connect with people, connect with purpose, connect with transcendent, whatever it is. Now, our society in the West is very strong on achieving. Come on, we're the fix-it generation. We, that's, that's what our culture does. What we're perhaps not quite so good at is connecting. Why do we have a minister for loneliness? Whereas other cultures don't necessarily need that. In fact, for most non-Western cultures, it's a no-brainer that, of course, you have family, extended family, community, you belong, you are part of. In our society, it ain't quite so strong often. So we're strong on achieving, maybe not so strong on connecting. A materialist, well, I'll unpack that in a minute. And how are we, how are we doing as a church in all this? How are we doing? Yes, no, speak to Andrew. We're doing all right, doing badly? Fairly poor. Fairly poor, in what sense? That as a church we can still lead very much from the front and not give the times for people to connect. We yeah. can't always build community in church. So yeah. Well. Yeah. We often are very task focused, aren't we? And sometimes it's. Yep. Is the therapeutic value of one person speaking to another person? Yeah. Yeah, one to one. Yeah, exactly. Fellowship. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we pay lip service to it while we're getting on with the business of it. Okay, I'm going to keep flowing. Um, what's the sacred secular divide? Ever heard of that? Sacred, secular, divide. The sacred is what we do. Churches do that. It's just the old-fashioned term for doing <coughs> worship meetings, prayer meetings, even evangelism. Nothing wrong with that. Trouble is, often we might be doing that on a Sunday and a Wednesday night, and then Monday morning, off you go, into a situation that's actually quite hostile uh, to the sacred. That's the secular domain. And indeed, we may be involved in loads of different things. Um, mums, toddlers groups, you know, CAP, whatever it is. Um, but I was talking to our local Baptist minister, uh, who is a very uh, good person and a very effective person. She said, we've run mums and toddlers groups here for the last 25 years, but not one of those people, the mums, the dads, have ever made it into one of our church meetings. <laughs> That's perhaps extreme, I don't know, but it's, it's often the case. And so we'll look at that again uh, before we're done. So uh, sometimes we too are as uh, achievement orientated. Again, this is just almost sweeping statements, isn't it? And you would want to unpack these a bit more. But um, I was just um, near Luke this morning, took a photo of him just after he came out of the shower. And... Um, <laughs> 
here he is. Now, when you see a uh, body there, I'm not just thinking of the physical human frame. I'm talking about that which is the material domain. I'm thinking body, mind, spirit, etc. But actually, the focus on the material. And our society, our culture, majors on the material. You know, if you want the good life, what do you need? Well, you need the job, you need the money, you need the clothes, you need the da-da. So material. So that's all stations in between. The mind, of course, is a great computer made up of loads of physical <laughs> nerves and the chemicals, if you change those, that'll sort of work. That actually sounds like a material understanding of the mind as well, which is helpful in some respects, but not so helpful in others. Notice the size of the font. Emotions, well, that's a bit touchy-feely, isn't it? In fact, Skinner, the great pioneer of behaviorism 50 years ago, middle of the 20th century, he said emotions... Uh, are not amenable to research. They're far too kind of touchy-feely stuff. Turns out, actually, that emotions, more recently, because of the, the um, advances in neuroscience, all the brain imaging and so on, it turns out that emotions are the base, are the basis of human relationships. I hinted about that, attachment theory, babies, infants, all the rest of it. It's the part of the brain, the right brain, that focuses, that, that is responsible emotionally, that is to the fore in the first 18 months, two years of life. Much more than the left brain, which is where the uh, cognitive, the thinking, the language, the analytical, the achieving, connecting. Actually, this is what we start off with. And the, and the, the, the development of healthy attachment, interaction, which is an emotional thing, much more than it is a cognitive thing. After all, babies can't speak yet, can they? They can't think about it. Little Jack, who's six and a half months, his, it's all in the face, it's all the emotions. It's, that's the basis of healthy relationship. It turns out emotions are the fundamental, even more than the cognitive. Say that in our society. People go, what are you talking about? But maybe we need to be rethinking. Um, relationships, how are we doing relationally in our society? Community, relationships? Most relationships per person are like warm, it's all a lot materialistic. Yeah. Like if you have this, then you look, if you don't have that certain aspect, that certain object, they're like, nah, you're not, don't like you Yeah, yeah, increasingly. Exactly. Yeah, I think we're becoming an indoor generation. I think we're more of an indoor generation. We're too much. Yes. Yeah. And, and Whip it out. I've got 50, 50 million friends. They're all my mates. Yeah. So I used to have to. There you go. Yeah, it's the face-to-face, -face, isn't it? So note the size of the font there. In fact, they, um, a man called um, Dorling, he was a professor up in uh, one of the um, universities, and he and his team did research on um, the state of the health of communities 40 years ago as compared to much more recently, 40 years on. They found that those that were the weakest in terms of social connection, trust, and the rest of it in the jargon, social capital, the weakest 40 years ago were nonetheless stronger than the strongest 40 years on, more recently. So community, actually that's where the church can really come into its own. We can think about that anon. Um, and as for this stuff called the spiritual, if you want to do that stuff in your own time, that's fine. You know, it could be faith, it could be Reiki healing, it could be reflex, anything. 
but out in the public sphere, economics, commerce, advertising, <laughs> hey man, this is, we're much more comfortable with this domain. Let me illustrate what, um, so that's stuff on the left of the dotted line, stuff on the right, well, talk about sacred secular divide. So when, uh, just let me illustrate this if this all seems a bit abstract. <laughs> When the NHS, well, put, put it this way, supposing two people were to meet on the street, they know each other a little bit, and one says to the other, how are you doing? Meaning, how is your health? That's the kind of thing. How might people, what might, response might they get back? Fine, thanks, because they're English. But if they wanted to nail them a little bit more specifically, what might the response be? Specific answer. How are you doing? Not great. Not great because not feeling, good. not feeling good. Often it might be in terms of, uh, oh, I did my back in last week, but I feel, oh, I've got a headache, or what kind of health is that? And when the NHS focuses on health things, they, as we saw, it's smoking, drinking, exercise, that's physical. So, so the more physical material it is, medical it is, the more kind of comfortable we are in terms of talking about it at least. So if these two were to beat again and the same question, the answer came back, I'm feeling really depressed today, I wonder if you could help me. You probably wouldn't see the other person for dust. Do you know what, I'd love to chat, but I've really got this important meeting. Because when it comes to that sort of stuff, ooh, we're not so sure, it's your knee or your ear roll, that's one thing. But if I'm feeling a bit down and miserable and depressed and anxious, Oh, I don't know. But if the response comes back, how are you doing? And they say, I'm having an existential crisis at the moment. Could you point me something? <laughs> you would not see them for dust, would you? We don't do it. Because the further you go over this way, the less, the more awkward we often feel it. Maybe in other cultures, not so much. So, um, so that's, let's look at it another way, even more simply. Um, seems to me that every culture, every society, every civilization has what I would call a dominant narrative, a dominant storyline, a script that dominates the culture. So a Western European or a North American one, Western one, isn't necessarily the same as an Indian one or a Buddhist one, or an Islamic one, because the narrative, technical term, meta-narrative, or worldview, if that means it, is very different. The assumptions are that actually what is real about humanity, the world, and the universe, well, that's why they call them different worldviews. Just see the world from a completely different perspective as spiritual versus material, etc. So our, it seems to me our dominant, if you were to summarize what you think our Western UK dominant narrative storyline script will be in three kind of bullet point words. What might they be? What would you come up with? Secular. Secular? Yeah. Yeah, that'll do to start with, wouldn't it? What else? Consumer. Consumer, yeah. Success. Success, yeah, good. Individualistic, very true, yeah. You could probably come up with a whole list, couldn't you? Here's my take on it. Health, wealth, 
and happiness as pleasure, happiness which means primarily material. Now, you might say, well, I don't know what I think about that, but, but you could say that the dominant script says something like this. So long as I have pretty good health, meaning physical health especially, down the gym, da-da-da, and so long as I have more than adequate, actually quite a lot if I can, wealth, and so long as I've got my bucket list and I only want to be happy, meaning having a pleasurable life, somebody put it this way, stay safe <coughs> until you die. Don't take to, we're not just pain averse, we're often risk averse. That most of those things, I would suggest, are primarily material. Remember my previous diagram over on this left-hand side? And that's okay. Do we want some health, wealth, and a bit of happiness? Can't think of too many people who would say no. But is that the whole story? What's missing? Well-being. Happiness, yeah? What kind of happiness? Well, happiness, being at war, so being accepted. Yeah? Being accepted and being, being known, being, being helpful, being, being able to connect to people. That's Very good. Very good. There you go. So it's the connection and not just the achieving again, isn't it? That has to do with people, it sounds like, connecting. Any other things? Any other words? The challenge with like connection is once you connect with people with the pleasure thing, there's more uncontrollable factors of people being ill or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like if, if all you're after is health, wealth, wealth and pleasure, <coughs> the broader your connections, yeah. the more likely you are to come across bad health, uh, poverty. Yeah. And exactly. This stuff. Over here, we'll look at it in a minute, is a bit riskier, isn't it? Because once you start connecting with people, ooh, I don't know if I want to do that. Why? Because of my experiences of people in the past, growing up, other people. If I can just keep it restricted to stuff I can control. So here's my take on the other side. How about this? It's the non-material. Remember I have the diagram? Further over to here, isn't it? Relationships, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Connection, meaning, and fulfillment. That's my... Interestingly, as a man called Tim Kasser, he's one of these psychology professors in the States, he says that there's a kind of inverse seesaw relationship between materialistic values, the dominant culture, and what he calls pro-social values. What's pro-social? It's the opposite, anti-social. That which builds community, relationship, and the rest of it. He says the more you focus on the materialistic values, primarily um, material things, the greater the deficit, the less the amount of the pro-social stuff, the relationship, meaning purpose. Get it? Do it the other way around. And the opposite happens. You start focusing, prioritizing people, relationships, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, that side of things. My right-hand side of my previous diagram, the spiritual, the social, the communal, da-da-da-da, relational, actually you find the other things maybe aren't quite so important as you thought they were. 
and were led to think they were by the dominant culture, advertising media. So, let's get on to mental health. That was just the introduction, okay? Um, just a little plug for this book. I've only got a few copies, but if this goes into it, a lot more details. So, grab one. You can get it on Amazon as well. We all have mental health, true? Yes. Let me just flash through these next couple. What is good mental health? What do you, what do you have? What, do you, what is it made up of? What are the dimensions of good mental health? Resilience. Resilience. Stability. Stability. Interaction. Feeling whole. Feeling whole. Interaction. Interaction, connection. Yes. Yeah, able to think. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. Ooh, right, we're flowing here. Here's one definition of it. The ability to learn. That's to do with your thinking. The ability to feel. Oh, that's to do with your feelings. <laughs> Remember those two parts again? The cognitive and the affective is the technical words. The thoughts and thinking and the feeling. They're both here. Oh, that's left brain and right brain. Different story. Uh, to be able to relate. Well, that's what we're touching on and to be able to manage change and uncertainty. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> well, that's one frame. Let me show you another one. Um, the, the technical term for happiness, these psychologists, subjective well-being. Well, the thing about happiness is you're the expert on your happiness. Nobody can know exactly what's going inside you, except you. You can talk about it and show it. That's why they call it that. Three dimensions. A man called Martin Seligman is the leading figure in these things. And he's subdivided this rather vague term, happiness, called it subjective well-being. He says there's kind of three types, if you like. There's this one. What do you reckon that is? What would you call that? Family. Family, yeah. Family Yeah. I, 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 the, the picture, of course, is just an illustration. But he says the first dimension is, is the pleasurable dimension. If you haven't got any pleasure in life, that's, that's tough, isn't it? And the focus there, especially, remember my um, previous diagram over on the left, you've got to have a bit of material pleasure to make life reasonable and feeling good is associated with positive emotions. Here's another one. Again, the picture is simply an illustration. He calls it engagement. What he means by that is stuff that goes beyond the material into the relational and hobbies, jobs, all that kind of stuff actually demands a bit more of me. I'm engaged with what's going on. And uh, if one is feeling good, then this is how we function. So I need to be able to achieve something in life. But he says there's actually another dimension. What do you think this one might be called? Purpose. Purpose. Yeah. Again, the picture, yeah, I could have chosen another picture, but I think Mother Teresa illustrates it well. He calls it meaning. Pleasant life, engaged life meaningful life. And he says, actually, each of these, as you progress, it's kind of moving towards the right side of my previous, you remember? And so, this is not just about, indeed, you can have a meaningful life, but life may, may not necessarily be pleasant. How did Mother Teresa get on in, where did she live and work? Calcutta. Amongst the Hilton, the Ritz hotels, down on the beach, sipping the wine, was she doing that? No, no she was the most deprived people. The poorest of the poor. Not always pleasant. But did she find fulfillment? Of 
course she did. Hey, you could talk about this better than me. Some of the places you live in, maybe there is, maybe there isn't pleasure. There's probably quite a lot of engagement, but actually finding meaning. The reason you're involved in these places because you have a sense of purpose and meaning. <laughs> and ultimately, that is what is going to make the difference. So here's a few questions. Have a little think about this for a moment. I'll give you a, a minute and three quarters again. Uh, how about your understanding of mental health. Again, this will just get the juices flowing. I'm not going to give you enough time, really, to give it justice. But how do you feel about when people talk about mental health? Do you, do you know what's involved here? Have a little chat about it for a couple of minutes. What was I, we were just looking at? Everyone has mental health, do they not? Yes. Oops. But some people struggle more than others. What does that look like? Well, here's the thing. Sometimes we think, well, blogs over here, they're fine, they're doing okay, no problems. Not necessarily. You just don't know what's going on inside. But they look as if they're sorted. Over here is someone who clearly isn't sorted. They're struggling. In fact, they might even have a diagnosis. It isn't always as... Uh, you know, one or the other, black and white as that, is it? Because, and here's the Centre for Mental Health, they say there's a spectrum. From healthy, though does, that doesn't necessarily mean perfect, think physical health, it's just the same. Through, well, I'm, I've, you know, I've got some struggles, some issues, but I'm coping. <coughs> actually, I'm not coping. And I'm actually very unwell. And all of us are on that spectrum, aren't we? In fact, we sometimes vary from one day or week to another. It's true physically, it's certainly true emotionally, isn't it? Relationally. Why? Because there's loads of factors, not just what's going on with my chemicals, but other things as well. A continuum. We can flourish or language whether or not we consider ourselves to have a mental illness. We'll look at that in a second. That sounds, ooh, what does that mean? Here's another way of looking at it. Do we have mental health needs? Do you have mental health needs? Answer, of course you do. Do you have physical health needs? Yes, I need to eat, drink. And it's true, those, there are things that uh, help us to be healthy. Well, think about those. So. And so we need, I like this term, mental hygiene. <laughs> we need physical hygiene. We also need mental hygiene. It's not physical bugs and things, but actually it's the toxic thoughts and views about myself, about other people, about the world, that are really infecting or affect. Of course we need ways to help us. Some people, of course, uh, we might say, we've got some problems and they might go to their GP. There's something called me uh, medically unexplained symptoms, MUS. Have you heard of that? Probably not, actually. Some might. Medically unexplained symptoms are symptoms which don't have a medical explanation. <laughs> so somebody has a headache, backache, gutache, all sorts of aches, gynecological symptoms. They go to the doctor, he does the, she does the test, and all the tests come back negative. There's no biological organic medical explanation. What percentage of people going to their GP or clinic uh, experience those medically unexplained symptoms? 
Give me a number. Give me a number, percentage. How, what's the percentage of people who go to their GP who experience those medically unexplained? It can be as high as that. It's actually between a quarter and a half. Quarter, third, half. That's huge. They've got, are they troubled? Yes. Have they got pain? Yes. Has it got a medical, biological explanation? Dunno. Can't find it. In fact, in gynae clinics, women's gynecological clinics, it can be up to 60, 70, 80%. Something's going on that isn't just explicable in biological terms. But if we have severe health problems, often labour illness, we may find ourselves. So that's, uh, that's good, we need, don't get me wrong, I think it's important to have psychologists and psychiatrists, but often it's the model that we carry that will influence what we do. Needs become problems if our needs are not met, physically, emotionally, relationally, other ways, spiritually, and our struggles are not listened to, understood, Problems become illnesses if there's no, well, it's the same kind of thing. Notice here what's required. Well, you need other people to listen. If you want to take one, <laughs> one conclusion out of all this consideration from my point of view, if we are good listeners to other people, we will go a long way to helping them with their mental health, their physical health, their emotional health, their relational health, their spiritual health. Say, so is it simple as that? Yes, so why don't we do it? Most of us, we're in conversation, are just waiting to say what we want to say, and the other person is just giving us the leg up to do it. We're not very good at listening, human beings. Leave alone empathic Listening. What's the difference between sympathy and empathy? Empathy is understanding, sympathy is just feeling sorry for them. Yeah, feeling sorry. So yeah. it's good to be sympathetic, but it's almost like sympathy says, oh, I'm really sorry, genuinely sorry that you're experiencing that. Empathy says, I am now going to step into your shoes and feel what you feel. Does that come in a moment? No. Does it take discipline, willingness, to bracket my own thoughts, feelings, hopes, desires, anxieties. Space for people. Uh, I won't, uh, unfortunately I haven't got time to go into this, but the, uh, what the diagram is simply saying, there's a spectrum of mental health which is not the same as the spectrum of mental illness. So you can be diagnosed with a mental illness, this side, and still flourish in life. Why? Because you've got good support. Because you've got professional help, empathic professional, a community. Hey, maybe a church community is really going to make the difference. It's not just the, the, the chemicals in my brain. That's often the consequence of other factors. I'd love to dwell on that, but we have to get on to the next bit. Questions to take away, um, just make a note or have a think about this to take away. So what about your situation? That requires the rest of the day, doesn't it? As you go back, who are the people? What's the situations? How does this stuff apply? How do I listen? What about community? Etc. etc. I won't dwell on this because I can see what the time then is. But take, it, take these away and think. Because I do want to ask the question. <laughs>
so what? What to do? And again, I'm just going to throw things at you. I really and apologise in a way for that uh, because it deserves more time than we're able to give. But here we go. Three areas to focus. What kind of groups of people are in view when we're thinking about mental health and wanting to, to help? Young people? Yeah. Elderly people. Yeah. And all stages in between? Yeah, vulnerable. vulnerable people. Well, uh, let me put it this way. In sheer categories, if we're talking about people who are struggling, say, maybe you've got somebody in mind, well, we need to be listening and engaging with and supporting and being in relationship with any such person. But here's the thing, often people, Christians who go into ministry of any kind uh, are very, well the reason they do it is because they're very motivated. <laughs> but some of that unconsciously is because I need my own needs, I need to be a helper. The technical term is to be a rescuer. So many of us who are uh, in ministry as Christians are rescuers. What does that mean? It means I'm so going to give and give and give that the net result is I have a breakdown. I have a burnout. How often do ministers and other Christian workers end up with problems themselves? Because they're rescuers. We are rescuers. And how about going through a whole lifetime where we don't have breakdowns? Why? Because we pay attention to our own needs. We make sure we have the support. We are part of a team and a community that works. Hey, that depends on a low different, but actually, what about me? And of course, what about community? Those are the main categories. Let me just literally list some things, loads of things. Um, Luke's got this, these slides around, so if you need the slides and you say, hey, Andy, don't stop, you know, stop, I need to write this down. Don't worry too much because the slides are available. Um, loads of things, accept people, listen, support, blah, blah, blah. Again, if, you, if I want to give you the number one, it's this one. Time, 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 time. In this world, this society that's so orientated to do, 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 we're not great at BBBing, are we? And actually, somebody who's struggling with anxiety, depression, whatever it is, they need people to be BB. And the people who are BBBing with them, they also need to have people to BBB with them as well. Looking after, so looking afterwards, again, um, take this away. What good habits help us in our own well-being? Shout something at me. Setting goals, yep. Talking to somebody who's going to listen. Exercise. Exercise, yeah, the physical side. Resting. Resting. <laughs> when you... It's important to understand that you don't need to be a person that everybody exactly. expects you to be. Yeah, you're not... Exactly, yeah, exactly. You are not the saviour. Definitely, it's part of that rescuing. Exactly. Absolutely. Making time for yourself, actually. And often, many of us struggle with that. We feel guilty about doing some on the pleasure. We're so full of meaning and engagement, we never give ourselves any time for pleasure at all. Yep, that too. That too. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I do. I do. Yeah. Exactly. I'm really sorry, guys, to keep rushing us, but um, let me just add this. There's a woman who rejoices in the name of Sonia Lyubomirsky. L-Y-U-B-I-R-S-K-Y. Something like that. Anyway, I can tell you later. She's, again, one of these uh, scientists. And she lists these things, loads and loads of things here. But notice acts of kindness, relationships, forgiving, savoring, faith. Actually, most of those are relational. They don't cost money. Hey, there's time involved. But these things, that the evidence shows, the research shows, these things really do make a difference to our well-being. Again, loads of stuff there. Um, the church, of course, let me just show this slide. Um, again, uh, I can't unpack it. But there's no excuse in our day, this day and age of Google and the rest of it for not reading, understanding, engaging with uh, what's going on. But actually, it's fundamentally, what we've been saying all along, it's the face-to-face. -face. It's the relational. It's the communal. And one of the greatest resources and gifts and strengths that Christian communities have is that they are Christian communities. And again, the research shows that churches are primarily, statistically, places of healing and health. You think, let me introduce you to some of the churches I could tell you about. And you may be right. But the statistics show that people of faith who are involved in community, it's not just up here, they engage with it, they experience greater health, less anxiety, they live longer. Da -da, the list is very long. <laughs> Crikey, tell me about some of these churches. Actually, it could be your church, statistically. So we Christians are often our worst enemies. We do down the church when actually we need to be encouraging, <laughs> speaking well, being uh, community around. I, I understand there's so much more to it than that, but those are the fundamentals. Let me just, in the last few minutes, just um, mention some resources from livability particularly um, uh, that you might find helpful. Uh, We've just produced a, uh, it's online, livability.org.uk. Livability, no E in the middle, livability.org.uk slash resources. And this thing is something that we um, produced. Modesty prevents me from saying who the author was. Uh, but it's a series of five Bible studies based on the same topics as the happiness course, which I'll mention in a minute but about well-being uh, from a, a biblical point. So taking Bible passages and um, asking questions, really. So you can download that for free, Together for Good, it's called. Another one came back last year that specifically focuses on mental health. The same idea is, this time, six um, Bible studies. So these are for use within churches to help us to think through, to um, reflect on, to talk together about it. This focuses on anxiety, depression, and the like. Uh, there's the address again, <coughs> Org UK. And here's another one. I'm, I mentioned the happiness course, and I've run this course screeds of times in this country and uh, elsewhere. And 
um, the, the feedback I get is, is very, very helpful. It's basically picking up on this, all this research and so on. And here's the four sessions, each couple of hours, but they're very participatory, much more than I've been able to be this morning. Um, and so it's asked the question, what is happiness? Unpacking that. What's successful living all about? And whose script are we following? Relationships. Hey, listen, if you want to be happy in life, have healthy relationships. If you want to be happy in life, have healthy relationships. And also discover meaning and purpose. That's why the church is so, such a place of hope and resource for a society that's struggling very badly. Relationships, community, meaning. And so, um, again, uh, we train people uh, both down in London and elsewhere to run this course, churches around the country. So if you want to know about uh, the happiness course, here's my email address. Aparnum, that's A, I think it's here somewhere. Aparnum, um, certainly these guys have got it. Aparnham, P-A-R-N-H-A-M, Parnham, Aparnham, at livability.org. So, um, and finally, this book, which seems to have disappeared already. There you go. So, um, it'll cost you £10 um, today, and you can get it on uh, Amazon. And as you can see from the title, it's really unpacking all those things. And um, hopefully find you'll, you'll find this helpful as well. Apologies for racing and not giving you enough time to come back at me. Simply, I would say, take away... In fact, let me just do one thing. For a moment, don't scribble, don't do anything, <laughs> other than you might want to find it helpful to close your eyes so that you're just focused. You don't have to, but sometimes it helps. Of all these huge amount of things we've reflected on today... Maybe just allow one thing to surface in your mind. What's the number one thing that you're going to take away from this session? Maybe something to do with you or your friends, your family, whatever. Maybe it's something that you want to discover more about, something to put into practice. Whatever it is, just, just um, hold on to that one, fasten on to it. Just offer it back to God. God, help me to act into that and make a decision that this week, as you go back home, you will do something with that. You won't let it drift away, but you'll act into it. Father, we thank you that you are, you are, you are health, you are life, you are healing. And we want to be those people who live in the good of it and who, through the overflow of it, enable others to find it as well. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 